Welcome to the South Plains Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. I don't have his list. I don't get his newsletter. But marriage must be at the top of our adversary's list of all of the gifts to twist. Love and marriage must be at the top of the devil's list. This is a beautiful covenant that we call marriage. The the Holy Spirit guards this union, which is why we have stern warnings about violating the marriage arrangement given by God. As the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews 13, verse 4, marriage should be honored. Marriage should be honored by all. In the last book of the Old Testament, God tells his people he's no longer accepting their gifts and offerings. It's in Malachi chapter 2 that the people are weeping over the altar of God asking, Why? Why? Why will you not accept what we give you? And in verse 14, he answers them. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young. But you have been unfaithful to her. You've acted treacherously. You've violated some very important things, though she remained your faithful partner. Why? Because you have refused to address these issues. Here's the thing. The covenant of marriage is to be honored. This is number seven in the Big Ten. Do not commit adultery. The series, in the series, we're dealing with the Old Testament law of Moses, which we have said ultimately points us to uh, the Messiah, God's Messiah, his anointed one. It is, it is the only way that we understand we need a Savior. It's a giant sign pointing the way to Jesus. And the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments, are actually a summary, we've said, of all the intricacies of the Mosaical law. So we're, going to, we're walking through this. So one more time, you, are you catching on to this by now? Uh, we're going to walk through the Big Ten. Number one is you shall have no other gods before me, right? And number two is you shall not make for yourself an image or an idol. Number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Number four is that transitionary one, remember the Sabbath, to keep it holy. Number five, honor your father and your mother. Number six, you shall not murder. Today, number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Number eight, you shall not, you shall not lie. Number nine, you shall not give false testimony. Excuse me, you shall not steal. Then you shall not give false testimony. And ten, you shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. So the Ten Commandments are examples of greater principles that are found in God's Word. Do not murder is an example of the greater principle we need to value all life. Do not murder because we value life, life created in the image of God. The specific, honor your father and mother, is an example of the greater principle. We need to show respect in our relationships with all human beings. 
So today, Exodus 20, verse 14, you shall not commit adultery is a specific example. We need to honor and cherish marriage, the covenant of marriage. Have you noticed in your scripture reading that scripture begins with a wedding? It does. Adam and Eve. And have you known at the end that the scriptures end with a wedding? I mean, which is very... And the wedding is with Christ in his church, his bride, the church. It's very apropos with South Plains because there are many weddings. I've already been to some, and there are many more coming up. Uh, great blessing to us, but it's, it's fitting. Because it is God who gives us marriage. Why? Because it reflects because it reflects his saving love for us in Jesus Christ. In the beginning, God says, let us make human beings in our image, in our likeness, Genesis 1. And then later in, 20, in, in chapter 2, Genesis 2, he said, we see the joining together of man and woman as a demonstration of God himself. The unification of man and woman glorifies God. When a couple comes together, there's something about the divine image of God that is reflected on the earth. Clearly something very important. Today, unfortunately, many view marriage simply as a way to find emotional and relational fulfillment. I hope you find these things in your marriage, but it's not why marriage exists. Marriage is not a private arrangement for the satisfaction of individuals. It's actually a public covenant for God's greater good in this world. When we go into marriage for me, it places a crushing burden on your spouse by the expectations you have. You're asking your spouse, in actuality, to take the place of God, and nobody can do that. We are sinful, broken, marred people, every one of us. And when you get married, it doesn't solve that problem. Two selfish people don't all of a sudden become angels because they get married. So marriage is not the solution for the problem of selfishness. In Scripture, the essence of marriage is a covenant. It's a promise that you make with somebody else and God. And yet in our present culture, there's more of a consumeristic view towards marriage, kind of a customer relationship. In a customer relationship, it lasts as long as, well, as long as it meets your needs. It lasts as long as the cost of the relationship is worth the benefit to me. That's a consumer relationship. But a covenant relationship says, whatever, I'm in. Listen to the vows. No matter what, I'm in. Rich or poor, good or bad, sick or, health, sick or healthy, no matter the hurdle, no matter what life throws our way, I'm in. That's, that's the covenant of marriage. But Jim, wait a second, Jim. Isn't it about finding your soulmate? Well, our culture today defines soulmate as you are the one and only person in the world for me. 
That's nonsense. Because if that's true, and you're my person, you better not change. And yet we all change. We're changing all the time. People change fairly often. In fact, I'll tell you, our prayer here at South Plains is that you change and become more like Jesus. The truth is, your soulmate is your spouse. Whoever you marry is the one. The, the fruit of marriage is to help you change. Not, mm, you didn't hear me say, oh, it's my job to change him or change her. That's not what I said. I said the fruit of a spirit-filled marriage is change. To help you become more like Jesus. To deny, to, to deny natural desires. My wife and my wife Lisa and I have been married for 47 years, and we and she's lived with a few different men during that time. All of them being me, yes. I've changed. So so many are looking for a unicorn, something that doesn't exist. So stop chasing the impossible. You, you need Jesus, and if you're married, then you need in marriage to glorify him. The essence of marriage, Jesus said, is to leave and be joined together. Marriage is a promise to God to keep your vows to your spouse. Soulmate, in our culture, sounds more like it's the present feelings. A covenant looks forward. A soulmate says, I, you're my person. You better not change. This is, and yet, a covenant is a promise for the future. It's a decision to love. It's, it's choosing to love someone. You, you feel fulfillment. But marriage is a choice, a decision to love someone. I hope you have good feelings about your spouse. But you decide... On self-denial. Emotions cannot be commanded. Here's a commandment, and it's not commanding your emotions because they can't be commanded. Only actions can be commanded. You shouldn't fall in love only because of affection. Let me tell you why. Because you will fall out of love when the affection fades. You choose to love. It's an action. The feelings will follow. Rely on your actions, not your emotions. The essence of a covenant is you do the acts of love despite the feelings. Now, don't miss what the Apostle Peter told us about marriage. In 1 Peter chapter 3, he told us that your spouse is your co-heir of the gracious gift of life. This is the point of sacrifice and submission, growing in Christ together. Listen to me. Listen. In mutual abandonment, mutual abandonment of self-interest brings you to grow in Christ together. So we have this future view of marriage, a common horizon where we're both looking towards the throne of God, 
Marriage is helping your spouse follow Jesus. This is the purpose of marriage, a commitment to your spouse's holiness, that you might help your spouse hear from God. Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. So marriage isn't about your self-fulfillment. It's about two people glorifying God by reflecting the relationship of Christ and his church. So here is something that's a huge violation of marriage, adultery. Adultery is rooted in a desire for fulfillment apart from God's design. Let me be blunt. You will cheat on God before you will cheat on your spouse. We see this in the order of the Big Ten. Number, what's number one? You shall have no other gods before me. And by the time we get to seven, it's you will not commit adultery. Here's what I know from scriptures. That if you never cheat on God, give your heart to some other idol, you'll never cheat on your spouse. Paul told the Romans, Romans chapter 12, what an act of worship looks like. What what does an act of worship look like? It looks like giving your body. It looks like offering up your body. It is a spiritual act of worship, he says, Romans 12, verse 1. And if you give your whole self to God, then you will never commit adultery. Isn't it funny that the most dangerous sins are the ones we think are hidden? That if nobody knows, it must not be that bad. If we can keep this sin unknown, if we can keep it unnamed, if we can keep it anonymous, then then maybe I can manage it. Maybe I can reel it in when I need to. Ironically, the public thoughtless sins seem to embarrass us the most, but it's the hidden sins that are the most dangerous to us. Pornography? Emotional texting somebody that's not your spouse, sexting, whatever you call it, are all forms of cheating on your spouse. The issue, listen, the issue is not about a one-night stand. Adultery isn't about the technicalities of certain exploits you have with another person. We didn't really cross that line, Jim. It really wasn't adultery. It really wasn't that bad. Adultery is a condition of the heart. Number number seven is actually an extension of number six, do not murder. Why? Because adultery murders marriage. Notice what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 27. You've heard the commandment that says, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The Greek word translated with lust means with lustful intent, to desire, to long for, to ponder the act in your mind. Let me be blunt again. Sexual temptation is common to humanity. Paul told the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. All of us struggle. 
All of us need to admit that. That any one of us can fall into that trap. In Genesis is recorded when Adam saw Eve for the very first time. It says, when the Lord God brought her to the man, Adam exclaimed, at last! Now, God designed us. He is not surprised when we figure out sex. God didn't take a nap and wake up and look down and say, oh, what are they doing? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> He's not surprised. He designed us. A person's body, sex, is created by God. And it's beautiful, unless we twist it, abuse it, misuse it. Desire it apart from God's design, marriage. Adultery rips the gift of sex away from God who created it. And it comes with devastating consequences, and maybe, maybe you are broken over this sin. Maybe you're the one guilty of this, and you know it. Maybe, maybe you're saying to yourself, I'm the one who's done this. Often we look at this sin with the perspective of, it's not me, it's somebody else. It's common to humanity. And your, your, your perspective may be, I've been wronged. And if that's you, it's, that's... That's terrible. That's, that's treacherous. It's a tragedy. But let me speak to those who are guilty this morning, who are saying to yourself, this is my life. This is, well, this is my past, or this is what's going on right now. Let me share with you this story that John records in the eighth chapter of his gospel. You may recognize it. Early, in the, early the next morning, Jesus was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down, and he taught them. And as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says... Stoner, what do you say? They were, they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote with his in the dust with his finger. But they kept demanding an answer, and so he stood up again and he said, All right, but let the, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down and wrote in the dust again. And when the accusers, when the accusers heard this, look at it, they were self-condemned. And they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest. Until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? 
Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go live your life and sin no more. God is merciful. And he loves you. And he desires to release you from the tyranny of your sin. And as we sing this song, preparing for communion, hear his call. He's not the accuser. He's the one calling you to accept his mercy and live differently. When God called his people out of captivity in Babylon, get out. Get out, he says. Leave your, leave your captivity. But don't leave in a hurry running for your lives because, he says, the Lord will go ahead of you. Yes, the Lord, the God of Israel, will protect you from behind. His message to them as they were being released is that God brings you out of your past by going ahead of you and overcoming any barriers, any hurdles that are there. And he does it by being your rear guard in case you're concerned that the accuser, the sin, will come and take you back into bondage. We come to this meal. We all come to this meal as captives of sin and death who have been released and purified and redeemed by the mighty act of God in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Today we are part of God's family who walk with him in joy by his grace. Father, we thank you for this bread that reminds us of who you are and reminds us of who we are in Christ. We pray. Amen. We come and partake of the cup fruit of the vine, this grape juice that reminds us of Jesus' blood. There's power in the blood we sing, and it's true. There's power that redeems us, that forgives us, that purifies us, and marks us as his through his spirit. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your faithfulness in giving your body, your life, that we might live now and forevermore. Now fill us with your spirit who empowers us to live for you. In Jesus we pray. Amen. What's the point? Here's the point. Grace always comes with a challenge. Grace, neither do I condemn you. Challenge, go and sin no more. We don't leave here as guilty sinners. We leave here as children of God, family of Christ, forgiven with a mission that out of God's grace, in view of God's mercy, comes a desire to do things for Him, to live for Him, to be more like Him. 
How do we do that? By relying on him. And that's what this song is about. There will be an elder in the prayer room up here afterwards. We can help you, assist you. Anyway, we will do that. Let's sing together. Thanks for listening. To stay up to date on news and other events, visit southplains.org. We also extend special thanks to our countless volunteers who make all of our ministries possible. And remember, engage, lead, and celebrate others. Thank you.